You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Open your Bibles very quickly to the book of Acts and chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 26 to verse 31 of Acts and chapter 8. All right, let's rise up from the reading of God's Word, as is our good custom in all House on the Rock churches, in honor of the second person of the Trinity, the living Word of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to verse 31. Here, the reading of God's Word. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, of Ethiopia, an Enoch of great authority, under Candace, this, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. I'll stop the story there. We know the rest of the story. Philip explained and expounded things from the scripture to him, and the guy ultimately got baptized. You see, this Ethiopian eunuch was coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem, and he was reading from the book of Isaiah, but yet he had no understanding of what he was reading. He could tell that there was deep truth in Isaiah, the portion of scripture that he was reading, but he discerned that he didn't have the right understanding. He didn't have the right light. He didn't have the right insight. He didn't have the right division to be able to decode the things that Isaiah had written and that was written in the book of Isaiah. Now, Philip then came beside him, came into the chariot and started to unveil Christ to this man, starting from the scripture that the man was reading. Uh, in fact, the truth be told, it could have been any scripture whatsoever that the man was choosing to read, and Philip would still have been able to unveil Christ to him because the entirety of scripture is actually about one personality. I'm talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm talking about Christ Jesus because we've come to understand that the Old Testament is simply Christ concealed, while the New Testament is Christ revealed. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? So I've come like Philip this Sunday morning to unveil the scripture to you. Uh, this man realized that if he didn't have the right let, light, he could easily get the scriptures twisted. But I've come with a meditation that I've titled, Don't Get It Twisted. Help me tell your neighbor, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Mighty Father, help me this morning. Speak through me like only you can. 
Give us great light. Help us to do no injustice to your word, but to rightly divide it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people shouted aloud, Amen. Amen. And as you take your seat, tell your neighbor once again, don't get it twisted. Hallelujah. Amen. Whew. Lord Jesus, help me this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 5, I read in my own translation. It says, In the dateless past was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was inseparable from God in the beginning. All things were made through the word, and without the word was nothing made that was made. In the word was life, and the life in the word was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot stop the light. In the beginning was the word. In the dateless past was the word. The word was in the beginning. Oh my goodness. Before there was a this, a that, a what, a where, a when, a how, a why, there was the word. Standing on the firm ground of nothingness, the word called forth all things. Before there was a you, a me, an us, there was the word. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? In the beginning, was the word. Before the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars, the word said, let there be light, and there was light, meaning therefore that uh, the light preceded the sun and the moon and the stars, causing us to know that the true source of light is not the natural light of the sun, the moon, and the stars. The actual true source of light is the word of God. It is the word of God that produces light. Hence, the scripture says elsewhere that the entrance of your word bringeth light. It says that, that your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. The source of true light is the word of God. So if you do not have the word of God, you do not have light. Help me ask your neighbor, do you have the word. You have uh, the word. Oh, Lord. Uh, you see, this is why you can have eyes and yet do not see. Because it is possible to have functional eyes, but without light, you still cannot see. Is anybody talking? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Your eyes are functioning, but if you are in a dark room with no light, uh, you cannot see. So you need light for sight. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? So therefore, you have eyes, but you cannot see because you do not have light. Meanwhile, the source of light is the word of God. So every time you do not have the word of God, you don't just don't have light, you don't have sight. You have eyes, but you can't see. So important is the word of God. We understand that the word of God is the substance of all substances because in Hebrews and chapter 11 and verse 3, it says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that are seen are not made of the things which are visible or that do appear. We've come to understand that the word is the original seed of all seed. It's the production of everything. In the beginning was the world. Oh my 
my goodness. Uh, the word is at the foundation and it is the foundation of all things. Uh, the word of God is in the beginning. Hallelujah. But the word of God is not just in the beginning. The word of God is also at the end. Somebody shout amen. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18 says, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not a jot or a tittle of my word will pass away without being fulfilled. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they will by no means pass away. So the word of God is not just in the beginning, the word of God is also at the end. When all is said and done, the thing that will remain standing is the word of God. The word of God is not just in the beginning and at the end, it's also all in between. Because in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, that Pastor Chris quoted earlier, we learn that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Somebody give God praise for the word. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11 says, So shall my word be. It shall go forth out of my mouth. It shall return, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing which I sent it to. The word of God never returns void. The word of God produces. The word of God performs. The word of God prospers. Can I prophesy to somebody? this Sunday morning that the word of God is going to produce in your life. The word of God is going to perform in your life. The word of God is going to prosper in your life. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout yeah! I've, I've come to start to understand even more deeply how important the word of God is that actually prayer does not work. Did you hear me what I'm saying? I know we like to say that prayer is the master key. I know we like to say that, ah, you've got to pray. Prayer is all you need. But I've come to find out uh, that even prayer does not work without the word. Oh, Jesus. I don't know if anybody's hearing me this Sunday morning. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, it says this is the confidence that we have when we pray, <laughs> that if we pray according to his will. What is his will? His will his word, then we know that he has heard us. And if he has heard us, we know we have received that for which we petition. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? So the only confidence I have when I pray is that my prayer is in accordance with the will of God. It is in accordance with the word of God. Oh, let me help you this Sunday morning. Therefore, prayer is not really a way to get what you want. It is a way to get what God wants. And what God wants is the very best for you. So don't be afraid to pray, let your will be done. But his will is revealed in his word. So prayer is actually taking God's word back to him. That's what intelligent prayer is. So I'm not in a rush to pray. I'm in a rush to first of all understand what the will of God is. I'm in a rush to first of all understand what the word of God says. And then I take what he has said into the place of prayer. And I am confident that it will come to pass. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? The word, the word, the word. I even came and I saw that there is no faith without the word. <laughs> Did you hear me what I'm saying? There's no faith without the word. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is the source of 
of faith, oh Jesus. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. If you are going to have faith that will overcome the world, you're going to need to hear the word of God because it's the word of God, the hearing of the word of God that produces faith within you by which you are now able to be victorious in your world. If you read Romans chapter 10 well, that whole context of scripture, you will start to find out that it tells you that you can't have faith if you're not hearing the word. But you can't hear the word unless there is a preacher preaching the word. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the preacher that was sent by God preaches the word. You hear the word. Oh, yeah, kumbari dada. Hey, Pastor Zubi, come and help me. Uh, Pastor Zubi is the hearer of God's word. Stand over there. Hallelujah. I am the preacher of God's word. Now, this is what happens. Whenever I preach the word of God, he hears the word of God. Now, according to scripture, when this happens, it produces faith. It causes faith to arise within him to be able to believe what he could not believe before. Can I announce to somebody, there's a revival of faith, stay right there, that's happening around the globe right now. There's a, there's, there's a swelling up of believing the impossible. And I announce to you in advance that you're going to start to see God doing the impossible in your life like never before. Blind eyes will be opened. Deaf ears will be unstopped. The lame will walk. Sicknesses and diseases will dis disappear. But it's going to happen by the preaching and the hearing of God's word. So Satan knows that whenever the preacher and the hearer come together, faith is produced. And if faith is produced, there is victory. So the enemy's plan is I've got to separate the preacher from the hearer. If I can separate the preacher from the hearer, then the hearer will not hear the word. If he does not hear the word, no faith is produced, no victory is achieved. Hallelujah. So that's why he'll whisper in your ear, you don't need all that church stuff. You don't need to go every week. You don't need to be listening during the week. For what? You understood what they said. You are still unpacking what they said five weeks ago. You have, you have you've been taking notes forever and you've never gone back on your notes. So you don't really need, wait some more till you, till, till you, have, till you are satiated. Then come back. That devil is a lie. It's the strategy of the enemy to separate you from the preacher because he knows that every time the preacher and the hearer come together, faith is produced. Can I announce to somebody right now that even right now, faith is being produced in this place as you hear the word of God. Faith is arising within you. I read it in the book of Acts that Paul was preaching somewhere and while he was preaching, there was a guy that was sick that was lame and then ah, Paul could realize that as he was preaching, faith was being produced within the guy that was hearing and hearing and hearing and guess what? Paul interrupted his preacher. He, he, he sidestepped his homely and he said, I discern that there's faith in you now. Rise up and walk. And the guy that had been lame hitherto received his healing in that moment. Can I prophesy to somebody that even as you hear the declaration of God's word this Sunday morning, faith has been produced in your life. 
and something is about to shift, something is about to change, something is about to turn around in your life. If you believe it, shout yes. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. But we see once again that it's the word. It's the word that produces faith. It is word that makes our prayers effective. It's the word. It's the word that was in the beginning. It's the word that produced all things. There was nothing that was produced, that was created, that, that, that came into being without the word. We've learned that the word is the source of light. We've, the word is in the beginning and it's at the end and it's all in between the word. The word. So we've got to get the word right. Woo! If we get it twisted, everything else doesn't work. If you don't get the word right, if you don't understand it right, if you don't divide it right, that means everything else will not work right. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. That means your prayers won't work right. That means your faith won't work right because you got the word wrong. Therefore, it becomes imperative to us that we must study to show ourselves approved. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me read it to you in the King James translation. Second Kings and Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Approved workman, rightly dividing the word of God. Oh my goodness. To avoid shame. To avoid shame, you need to study to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Uh, you have to study. You have to study. For approval, there has to be study. If you are going to be approved, you have to study. He that will not study will not be approved. When it comes to the word of God, you must come with a posture of a student, not as one that thinks he already knows. Oh, yes. The word approve is related to the word prove. And to prove is to show, uh, to be found to be right, to establish the validity of something uh, by an example, explanation, or experiment, to provide evidence for. That's what it means to prove. Now, he who studies the word of God is going to be able to prove the word of God is going to be able to provide evidence of the efficacy of God's word because he has studied to be able to rightly divide the word of God. This is beyond the declaration of the word of truth, but at the actual providing of evidence of the veracity of the word of God. Woo! He that studies the word of God will be able to prove the word of God. He that studies the word of God will be able to provide evidence for the word of God. He that studies the word will be able to show his rights to whatever the word says. So, 
when I study and rightly divide, I find out stuff inside there. It unveils to me my righteousness. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21, it says that um, he that knew no sin became sin, Jesus, that we that knew no righteousness might become what? The righteousness of God. So the day that you became a believer, in that instant, you became the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Now, in Romans in chapter 1, verse 16, down to verse 18, it says that inside the gospel, inside the word of God, is the righteousness of God revealed. But you are the righteousness of God. So, Whenever I am studying this word, I'm finding out about the righteousness of God that I have been made because I am now the righteousness of God. And he says in that Romans in chapter 1 that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That means this, there's a progressive unveiling of the righteousness of God. I'm seeing more and more the righteousness of God, but I have to study it to fish it out. Now, I'm not studying it and just fishing out random things. I'm actually find, finding out about myself. You know, some people read the Word of God and they read it like they are reading a textbook, they read it like whatever it is. But no, I read it like this is my life manual. I'm finding out about myself, what God has made me. Oh. You are spirit, you are soul, you are body. Or more correctly, you are a spirit who lives in a body and has a soul. The instant you got born again, you became a new creation. For if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. That's in your spirit. Instantaneously, you are made the righteousness of God. But the, you are going to spend the rest of your life after salvation, or you should spend the rest of your life after salvation, finding out about what happened in that instant. Because it happened in your spirit, but your mind is still unfruitful, your soul. And your body has to play catch-up too. So now your job is to study, to find out what does it say. And now it says, let in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So now I study and I find out that, hmm, it said that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Okay, that's good. Nice one. In the book of Isaiah. I like it. Then I go and I read in the book of Second Peter, and it says, by his stripes... You were healed. Ooh, that's interesting. That's good. One witness, two witnesses. That's enough according to the scripture because it says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. But the more I read, I start seeing other scriptures where it said that wherever he went, he healed their diseases. Where he says that healing is the bread of the children. I start to see. So now all of a sudden I have evidence. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? I have proof, proof that I can use in the place of prayer, proof that I can use against the enemy, 
because he's going to come against me. But now I can say, hey, 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 you, shut up, shut up, shut up. According to Isaiah, according to Second Peter, according to Matthew, this is my righteousness. Righteousness, righteousness. Your righteousness reveals to you your rights. Your righteousness reveals to you what you have a right to. And it's all in the world. I didn't ask you to clap, so if you're going to clap, 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 good, man. Clap, good, clap, good. It's in the word. How many believers walking around with the word of God and don't know what's in it? In fact, too many believers dealing with the word of God like a talisman or a token. Going through hard times, you go and find that old Bible that you used to have, you put it under the pillow and sleep. I'm sleeping on God's word. Oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow delivered. That devil is a liar. If you do not open this book and read and study it, it's not doing you nothing. You've got to open it. You've got to check it out. You've got to study it. You've got to be a Berean Christian. Don't get it twisted. He that does not study will be put to shame. He that does not study will not be able to prove the word of God. Now, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but let me quickly tell you this. The word of God is a book of principles, prophecies, and patterns. So every time I read the scripture... I'm looking for principles, I'm looking for patterns, I'm looking for prophecy. This is, these are not solely what the Word of God is, but this is an important insight for you to grasp. So therefore, I read, study to show yourself approved. And that's powerful, it's talking about the Word of God. But the principle there is that every time I study, I will be approved. And that principle, the very definition of a principle is that it's applicable in multiple scenarios. That means if I study science, I will be able to show myself approved in what? Science. If I study mathematics, I will be able to show myself approved in mathematics. Anywhere I'm not able to show myself approved, maybe it's because of a lack of study in that area. If I study that area, I will be approved. He says, study to be able to rightly divide the word of God. To rightly divide is to rightly interpret. To avoid shame, you must study to be able to rightly divide the word of God. So it's all about interpretation. And this is powerful indeed. We have millions of churches all around the globe preaching the same word of God, yet for a good portion of us, our conclusions can seem to be diametrically opposed. And yet it is the same word of God that we are reading. Now, some people of an alternative faith will tell you that you don't have one Bible, you have multiple Bibles, you have multiple um, versions of the Bible. You don't have one. That devil is a liar. 
We only have one. Hallelujah. And that's why if you listen to me very closely, I, I don't typically say, I don't say versions. I say translations. Because what it is is that King James translated the one word. And then Revised Standard translated the one word. And then um, Eugene Peterson translated the one word. Then the message translation. Then the, the, the passion translation. It's translations of the one word. Are you getting me what I'm saying? Yes, Hallelujah. The word. We've got to rightly interpret. Interpretation is everything. We can be looking at the same thing and yet interpreting it differently. And sometimes the reason our interpretation is different is because there are some foundational things missing. And I can't give you all, the, all of the tools this Sunday morning. I only have maybe 17 more minutes. Hallelujah. But I'm going to give you enough to get you hungry. <laughs> and get you back to, to seeking out God's word and getting the interpretations right. You see, your interpretation is so, so important. Interpretation is either the deal maker or the deal breaker. If I interpret it wrong, if I wrongly divide it, I'm in trouble. If I rightly divide it, I'm in liberty. I've got to interpret it right. My interpretation determines what I believe. My interpretation determines what I receive. My interpretation determines my expectation. It determines my behavior. It determines my judgment. Oh, Lord. Listen, Jesus said, he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive what? A prophet's reward. So it's not all about the, the, the person. It's about how did I interpret? Because the word interpretation, another synonym for it is perception. How I perceive you determines what I can receive from you. Interpretation is key. So, you have to get rid of the colored glasses when you go to God's Word. Growing up in God's Word, learning and all of that in God's Word, I found that the truth be told, the majority of us, whether we like it or not, will initially approach the Word of God with one form of glasses or the other. Every single one of us. I found that the person that grew up in a love-filled home where the parents were in love with one another and where the parents showed so much love to them would typically read the Bible and see a God who is love. And I found the children who grew up in uh, the alternative type of family where there was, there was hard punishment and, and discipline and life, the, the, the picture of life was tough, 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 tough. They were prone when they saw the word of God to see a God that would consume you with fire whenever you did something wrong. The same word of God. But the glasses of your situation causes you to interpret the word of God in a particular light. Get off the colored glasses. It takes time to get off the colored glasses. Now, some of us have even grown up in Christian cultures that have conditioned us a particular way to see things in a particular way. And so, uh, when we start to hear things that are contrary to the way we have been brought up and conditioned, there's a rebellion in us that, no, 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 no. Get off the colored glasses. This is where we get into exegesis and eisegesis. 
Exegesis is when you look at the scripture and you let the scripture say what it is saying in its context. So I read the scripture and I consider the whole context of the scripture. And uh, time for business to give you the, the context is beyond just the pretext and the post-text. The pretext is the verses that came before. The post-text is the, uh, the verses that come after it. So I read the whole scenario, but context is beyond that. Context is also to consider who was writing it and who was he writing it to and what was happening when it was being written. What situation was he addressing? This all gives me a larger context of understanding so that I can now rightly interpret that scripture. Exegesis is taken into to account the true context of what is being said. Now, eisegesis, with a lot of preachers can do, is when you have a preconceived idea and you take it into the Bible to look for that idea. And this is when you easily take a scripture out of its context and make it mean something that it doesn't originally mean. Are you with me what I'm doing? So you need to stop doing so much eisegesis and do more exegesis and say, what is the word of God really doing, saying here? Listen, don't let your experience explain the word of God. Let the word of God explain your experience. Did you hear me what I'm saying? Look, even when my situation is not lining up with the word of God, it does not invalidate the word of God. It just means that something is missing. Something is out of place, hallelujah. You, you hear me what I'm saying? Don't let your experience interpret the word of God. Let the word of God tell you what your experience is. Let, let God be true and let every situation, let every circumstance, let every trouble and fire, let it be a liar. If he says I'm healed, guess what? I'm healed even if I have all the symptoms of disease in my body. Hallelujah. Blessed be God. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, that is able to provide evidence. Rightly dividing the word of God. Rightly dividing the word of God. What does it mean to divide? To divide is to separate into portions. In, or to, in order to divide, that means you have to sort through the model. You have to unclutter the clutter. You have to separate things. I cannot keep things mixed up and still be able to rightly divide the word of God. For accurate discernment, there has to be separation and division. So he says that you've got to be able to rightly divide. For him to even say that you must be able to rightly divide, it already suggests that the word of God has divisions. It's one word, but it has divisions. Oh, uh, Jesus, help me. There's a big division in the Word of God, and we'll get there in a moment. Uh, but let me tell you that the Word of God, by its very nature, it divides. Why? In the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, uh, The Word of God is quick and it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, uh, of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Oh, Jesus. 
help me. It, it pierces. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. That means it cuts both ways. Hallelujah. Um, listen, the word of God, even as I'm speaking it to you, might be cutting you, but it's cutting me too. It, hallelujah. It's cutting out what needs to be cut out. Listen, if you are going to a church and you never get uncomfortable even once in a, a, a calendar year, the word of God doesn't make you squirm on your seat. The word of God doesn't make you, oh, that hurts. Then, then it's not cutting. Look, a good healthy diet in a good church will mean that there will be some Sundays where we'll be like, ah, pastor, why did you bring that cane to church this Sunday? It's hurting me. You are hitting me in some places. It's good. Hallelujah. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend are to be cherished. Hallelujah. It's a two-edged sword. It divides. It cuts. It sorts things out. Now, he says the word, you have to rightly discern, you have to rightly divide the word of God. What is the right division of God's word? There are at least seven types of literal, literary, literary tr tools or language in the Bible. You have the law, which is the five, first five books of the Bible. That's the Torah. You have uh, historical writings where it records actual historical events, particularly of the Israelites. You have poetry in the Word of God where there's a real outpouring of the real relationship of each writer with God, expressing pain, suffering, grief, blessings, praise, anger. The whole spectrum of the human condition is captured often in the poetry of God's Word. We read such poetry in Psalms, in Proverbs, in Ecclesiastics, in the Songs of Solomon. Of course, the Word of God is also full of prophecy, prophecy, uh, where, where the, the, there's a prediction of what is going to happen. You obviously have in the Word of God the literary tool of genealogy, where actual family lines are traced and, and taught to us. And a lot of us, when we are reading that portion, sleep starts to knock on the door. This begat that and that and that and that and that. And that. When will this be over? But that's genealogy right there. You have narrative, the narrative tool in the Word of God, where it's simply a writer narrating what he saw and the way he saw it. This is why you will see differences between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were simply narrating what they saw and the way that they saw it, so that the fact that there's a little bit of a difference in how they tell the same story doesn't invalidate the story. It's just telling you, this is the way I saw it. You know that you and I, even if we are to recount this service later this afternoon, our stories will be very different. Because what you notice is very different from what your neighbor noticed. Narration. Then you have ep the epistles. The epistles were letters that were written to either a particular person or to a particular church or party of people by the early ap apostles. Hallelujah. Now, so when you understand this, uh, when you are studying God's word, you, are, you should be asking yourself, what literary tool is in employ here? Is it narration, prophecy? Is it genealogy? What's going on here? So that I can better understand what it is that I'm reading here in Bible school this Sunday morning. Uh, the, the, the compilers of the Bible divided the Bible between the old and the new. New Testament. We're trying to get to the, the right division. And so the natural division that we see in the Bible is Old and New Testament, right? 
Old and New Testament. You get it? Hallelujah. So you have the Old Testament uh, and you have the New Testament. The Old Testament contains what? 39 books, uh, while the New Testament contains 27 books. Are you still with me? So the division of the Bible by the, the, the people that compiled it together is between Old and New Testament. That means the division is between Malachi and what? And Matthew. So the division is between Malachi, that's where the Old Testament ends, and Matthew, that's where the New Testament ends. But this is a functional division. It's a good division. It's a division that will always be there. But I want to let you know that that is not exactly the right division of God's Word. Oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. Uh, because the word testament is actually a synonym for the word covenant. And we do know that there's an old covenant, and there's what? A new covenant. And we know that there is no covenant without the shedding of blood. And we know that the new covenant did not come into effect until Jesus shed his blood upon the cross of Calvary. And therefore, I want to let you know that the right division of God's word is not between Malachi and Matthew. It's actually at the cross of Jesus. Because it's at the cross of Jesus that the new covenant was enacted. Everything before the cross is actually still Old Covenant. It is still Old Testament. It is everything after the cross that becomes the new covenant and the new testament. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? I know it's coming against some of your traditional thinking, but what I need to let you know is that at best, everything that Jesus was doing and saying before the cross was a transition preparing us for what would happen after the cross. Oh God, are you hearing me what I'm saying? The cross is the actual center of God's word. And if the cross is the center of God's word, now as a New Testament believer, when I read God's word, I read God's word through the prism of the cross. Oh my goodness. Before the cross, Jesus said, ah, that I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This was before the cross. And hence he used the tense, I will give you the keys. He wasn't yet giving them the keys because the cross had not yet happened. I don't get it twisted. But then when the cross took place, at the cross he died, he went down into the grave, he took the keys of life and death and hate away from the enemy and he arose and he gave gifts unto them and to men. One of the keys, gifts that he gave unto men were the keys, the keys that he talked about before the cross. Now I'm no longer waiting for keys. I have the keys. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? If you know you already have the keys, in Christ Jesus, come and shout, yeah. yeah. So the cross divides the Bible. Oh, Lord Jesus. It divides the Bible. It gives us the right division of God's word. Because through the cross, now I look at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament starts to make sense because I'm looking at it through the cross. Oh, Jesus, help me. Help my people to understand this. When you understand this, I'm going to go against some of your natural, uh, traditional belief systems. There are certain scriptures in the Old Testament that you have interpreted a certain way simply because you are not looking at it through the prism of the finished work. 
through the prism of the cross. So whenever you read it, you attributed a lot of things, a lot of meaning to those scriptures that the New Testament state is actually supposed to see in a totally different light. Because the Old Testament author or writer, writer, not author, the writer writes from the prism of his own understanding. Now, the typical Old Testament writer has no clear concept of the devil. So as far as the Old Testament writer is concerned, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, comes from God. That's the Old Testament writer. But God loves us so much, he didn't mind that he, the, the Old Testament writer wrote all of that because he's trying to get a message across to us and he knows that by the time the cross is done and by the time you rightly divide, you can look at those verses and start to understand it differently. Hallelujah. So the Old Testament writer will say, and the evil spirit from the presence of the Lord went to trouble Saul. Now, without rightly dividing the word of God, you're going to have a problem with that because it's going to, going to, going to seem to you that the enemy, that God has a compartment in heaven where he keeps evil spirits to send on assignment every once in a while. <laughs> and that, that doesn't add up, but that's the Old Testament writer writing from his perspective. The Old Testament writer is so in awe of God, rightly so, such that even the Old Testament writer doesn't write the name of God in full. They remove the vows out of Yahweh because they don't want you just, don't call his name in vain. What do you mean? So everything is from God. So the Old Testament writer, writer will write, God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh yeah, I know you're uncomfortable with that because you've heard it so many times, particularly at funerals to console us. God gave and God has taken away. Just, you know, be, be all right. You're all right. God is sovereign. And I understand where we're coming from. But when we get into the New Testament, we read in the book of Hebrews that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, nor the, nor the, nor the shadow, the shadow, the hints, not even the hint of turning. That means he can't be good today and bad tomorrow. That means he cannot be given and taken. He's not a con artist that gives you disease so that he can come and heal the disease and then get the glory. He didn't give you the disease. The disease did not come from him. Darkness does not come from him. Light comes from him. Now that we have an understanding of the cross and the finished work, we understand that the Ottoman wrote that because of the knowledge they had. The New Testament understands that God giveth and God giveth and God giveth. And if it is taken away, it is not God that took it away. Hallelujah. Even when you talk about a believer dying, you say God has taken him away. I understand. We will still say it. Even me, I will still say it. Eh? But it's not really taken away. For to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. His life, his life has not ended. Her life has not ended. It's just simply with the Lord. Where you two are going. Or you didn't know. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody give God the praise in this house. If your God is a good God. 
If your God is an awesome God, go ahead and give him the praise this Sunday morning. Before the cross, there was a veil on our eyes so that we didn't quite understand the Old Testament. But it says, in Christ, the veil has been removed. So now we read the Old Testament and we get so much more understanding than we used to get. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. This is Bible school and I don't have the time to take you. I will probably set it up better another time. But let me try to close somewhere. Don't get it twisted. Rightly divide the word of God. If anything, this is a message to get you back to the study of God's word. It's a message to get you back to the place of prioritizing God's word. It's a study that's meant to get you back to the place of, I'm going to press into God's word. I'm going to be in church regularly to hear God's word. But I'm not just going to hear it. I'm going to be a Berean Christian that after the hearing of it, I will go back to check whether what I was told is accurate. Are you, are you hearing me what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not afraid or upset if you take my message and you go open Bible, open concordance, open everything and look at what I said and check it. We are not preaching a gospel of suspend your thinking. No. Not in this house. We are preaching a gospel where we expect you to be a Berean Christian who goes and checks it up yourself. Because it has to be established within you. Because when the test comes, and everybody has their unique individual test, it's not what I believe that's going to deliver you. Is what you have come to find and understand for yourself. Yes. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. So Joshua in chapter 1 and verse 8 says, And this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, that you might observe to do all that is written therein. And then you shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. Hallelujah. Remember I told you the Bible is, is principles, is prophecy, it's power, yes, uh, it's patterns. And so even though that verse is talking about the book of the law, because when that verse was written, there was no New Testament yet, but the principle still holds true, that therefore I can apply that verse and say it this way, that this book of the gospel... <laughs> This word of God, this gospel of Christ shall not depart from your mouth. you got to put it in your mouth because your destiny is, is directed by the words of your mouth. Ah, it's not going to depart from my mouth. I'm going to say what he says. He says, once was it said and twice have I heard that all power belongs unto God. How is it said once and I hear it? twice because somebody had to repeat it. Somebody had to echo it. It was said in heaven but it also has to be said in, on the earth because his word is forever settled in heaven. Now you need to settle it on the earth by what you say. This book of the Lord, this book of the word of Christ shall not depart out of your mouth. You gotta say it but not just say it. It says you shall meditate upon it. What does it mean to meditate? 
it, think about it, uh, question it. Why did it say it that way? What did it mean? You think about it, you ruminate on it. It says day and night. But after all of that, it says don't just do that. It says to observe to do because faith without works, it is dead. Yes, I confess it. I keep it in my mouth. Yes, I think about it, meditate upon it day and night. But the end goal is that I'm going to act upon what I have said and what I have meditated upon. I'm going to add works to my faith. I'm going to add corresponding action. And it tells me that when I do that, the end result of that is that you, not me, you, not your brother, you, not your sister, you, not your uncle or your auntie, you will make your way prosperous. And you will have not just any kind of success. You are going to have good success. Is there anybody desirous of good success under the sound of my voice? Anybody wants to make their way prosperous? Let me tell you how. It's by rightly dividing the word of God. Don't get it twisted. Somebody go ahead and give God the praise this Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Father, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. So I studied the word for application. Woo! I studied the word for application. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me. I studied the word for application. It's not uh, any revelation that I do not tra track it all the way down to its application is not worthy of explanation. I'm wasting your time. No, I, what I mean is that if I give you a revelation and I don't track it all the way down to how you are going to apply it, I wasted your time. I start telling you the significance of the third toe of God in the seventh heaven and how wonderful and beautiful it is. If I don't track that down to, okay, so how does that get down to your real day, today, and eternal life, then I was just scintillating you. It wasn't observed to do. It was just acquired knowledge. And knowledge does what puffs up. But love edifies. Father, help us. Stir up within us a fresh hunger and a thirst for your word like never before. Lord, stir up within us a hunger and a thirst for your word like never before. Now we see afresh today the priority of your word, how your word is central to everything that you do. In the beginning was the word, at the end is the word, everything upheld by your word. We now see how critical our right understanding, interpretation, division of the word of God is to our very Christian life. That many things in our lives that persist, that are not the will of God, is simply because we never understood the word right. Father, we bless you. We give you all the glory. You are a New Testament saint. You are not an Old Testament patriarch. I thank God for the Old Testament patriarchs and the many great lessons that we learn from them but you are a New Testament state. 
want to, I'm like Daniel. No, you're not. Lot to learn from Daniel. A lot to gain from Daniel. But you're not the same as Daniel. Why? Daniel was under the old covenant. And so when Daniel prayed, he couldn't do anything in the spirit realm. But wait for the answer to come, which it came 21 days late because of warfare in the, in the heavenly realm. But you are not Daniel because you are in Christ, seated in him, far above all principalities and powers. So when you pray, unlike Daniel, you are still able to prosecute spiritual warfare in the spiritual realm to make sure that what you've prayed for according to the word of God gets delivered. You are not Daniel. You have power in the heavenlies. I love Job. I absolutely love Job. But you know how we've used Job to justify all sorts of craziness in our lives? I'm Job. I'm just like Job. You're not Job. Job was under the old covenant. Learn what you need to learn from him. You are under the new covenant. Rightly divide God's word. There are things you are meant to fight and refuse in your life and not acquiesce to on, under the guise of, I'm Job. I'm sorry. <laughs> not so sorry. I'm just giving you the truth. <laughs> Blessed be God. Go and check it. Be Berean Christians. Father, we thank you. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the worship this morning. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for quickening within us a fresh hunger and thirst for your word. We'll pursue it. We'll go after it like never before in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for this, this, that the scales drop off our eyes and we see the scripture in a totally different light. The light of the finished work. Thank you, Lord. We won't get it twisted. We'll get it right. And as we get it right, we will see the performance of God's word in our lives like never before. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. If you are out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and your Savior, whether you're in the house or online, please repeat these words of prayer after me and let him into your life. He's paid a great price for your salvation. Um, congregation, please repeat after me to support them. Lord Jesus, thank you. For the price that you paid for giving your life for me for becoming sin for me that I might be able to become the righteousness of God so today I accept your gift I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior Hallelujah. Therefore, by faith, I am now a new creation. I am born again. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you pray that prayer in faith with me, whether online or in person, we want you to grow from being a child to becoming a mature son of God. So please, get in touch with us on any of our social media platforms, direct message or email us in the church office or follow the pathway that's on our website to help you 
to become a mature son of God. You need to be planted in a house where you are hearing the word of God rightly divided to help you to move from level to level and from glory to glory. Amen and amen. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.